Mother's Day is a tricky one. Um, as a preacher, you think, you know, you can just uh, talk about moms and how great they are. But here's the thing. The minute you start talking about mothers, you lose half the room. Because all the guys in the room, they start to kind of check out because guys are selfish and they say, oh, it's not about me. <laughs> when you talk about moms, they, they feel honored and recognized. The guys check out. But those who maybe long to be mothers and have experienced that heartache and, and, and that dream has not come to fruition, it becomes difficult. For those who've, who've lost their moms and today they're grieving, it becomes difficult. For those who have a strained relationship with their mom, whether because of something that their mom has done or something that just they've done, the, the mess of that relationship today can be difficult. Today in our series, we're calling Entrusted, where, where we're walking through different areas. God has gifted us with things and we're called to be stewards of what God has given us. Today we're talking about being entrusted with family. And some of you are like, oh, that's even worse. Like you should have just preached a Mother's Day sermon. I know we've got families of all shapes and sizes and experiences here. And, and God, God has a heart for the families that, due to whatever circumstances, don't find themselves lining up with what what. Christians so often put forward as like, this is like the perfect ideal family situation. God has a heart for families like that. And if you want to hear more, we're not going to go entirely down that rabbit hole this morning. We preached a sermon, I think it was the first sermon of the new year, about the story of Hagar. And if that's something that you need to hear this, this morning, um, well, not this morning, but at some point, maybe, maybe going and listening to that teaching might be helpful for you in, in hearing God's heart for the families that don't fit the, this is the, the cookie-cutter Christian family that is often promoted in church circles. So before you check out this morning, before, whether you're, you're a guy and it's Mother's Day and you're already half asleep, I'm speaking to you today. Whatever your circumstance of life, whether you're single or married or whether you have kids or don't, whether family is just like a, a, a triggering word for you or not, I'm speaking to you in my prayers that the Holy Spirit would as well. We are entrusted with our families. Families are given to us by God. We have no control over who is in our family. And, and through this series, we've been talking about everything belongs to God, and God has given these things to us. And so we are therefore responsible to use those things for God's glory. We talked uh, a couple weeks ago, Matt preached about our stories, our, our experiences are given to us by God, and, and we are to use our stories for God's glory by making Christ the center of them, by sharing them with honesty and vulnerability. Last week, we talked about how we're entrusted with the gospel. This good news that, that changes our lives, that in responding to it by faith, we're then entrusted to go and to share it with others. The families that we find ourselves in, whether it's we're parents or we're still kind of like in the house looking to get out or, or whatever that looks like for us, have been given to us by God. 
And we are to use those family relationships as a means of giving glory to God. So this morning, we're going to talk about this in three ways, okay? First, we're going to talk about uh, being entrusted with our families as parents. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking as children towards our parents, especially for those of us who are grown-up children and the responsibility for our parents. And then we're going to spend a significant amount of time talking about the church as our family and being entrusted with our spiritual family. I'm struck when I read uh, Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. These are letters that Paul's written to young pastors that he's trained up who are, who are kind of throughout the Mediterranean region. And he, as like an experienced apostle, teacher of the gospel, spreading it around the Roman Empire in the first century, is, is helping to raise up these young leaders in the church. And in his second letter to Timothy, Paul says this to him right in his greeting. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Listen, if there was a text to base a Mother's Day sermon on, like that's the one, right? That Timothy's strong faith has a lot to do with Lois and Eunice, his grandmother and mother, who who have had their own journey of faith, who have passed it down through the generations and have helped shape Timothy into the man of faith that he is today. In fact, I'm willing to wager that that Lois and Eunice have had as much uh, influence in shaping Timothy as Paul has. We just see Paul's influence because we have his letters in the New Testament. But his mother and grandmother their influence, and the way that they have sought to raise Timothy, no doubt has shaped him into the protege that he is for Paul, one that God uses in raising up the church in the Mediterranean area. And here's the thing. I don't think Timothy is an outlier. I don't think Timothy is an exception this way when we look at the biblical story. Because ancient Jewish parents... They understood their role as being entrusted with their kids, not only to raise them, to feed them, and to clothe them, but to to raise them up in the things of God. Deuteronomy 6. This is a a passage that that contained a prayer that that the Jews would would, uh, pray every morning. It was called the Shema. And right after that, that famous prayer, it says this, These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. The the instruction for parents, these prayerful people of God in the law of Deuteronomy was was teach these things to your kids. Let it it flow out of you so naturally in your home that this is something that, that is in, becomes ingrained and becomes natural and known by the kids that you're raising. We see language throughout the Old Testament of when your kids ask these questions of you, here's how you should answer. So, for example, when, when God freed the Israelites out of Egypt in the Exodus, and there's the Passover, right, where they took a lamb and they sprinkled its blood over their doorposts. 
if you remember the story. They were to celebrate that Passover year after year. And when they did, in the law, it says, when your children ask you, why do we do this? The the law says, tell them about the story of how God rescued us out of Egypt. Tell them about what God has done, and that's why we do this. The, The rituals and ceremony and festivals, the rhythms of life for the ancient Jewish people were as much about raising kids to understand their story and what God had done in their lives and their ancestors' lives as it was about the ritual or ceremony itself. We read in, in uh, stories of the ancient Jews that they would set up these, uh, what were called Ebenezer stones. It's not the, the Christmas carol Ebenezer. It's the, like a pile of rocks. And it literally means a, the stones of help to remind us that God at this place and time had intervened and helped us. So as they were traveling throughout the wilderness, they would set up these giant piles of stones. And, and it says that when your children see these piles of stones for generations to come and ask you, why is there that big pile of rocks there? It's a teaching moment to say, this is where God had brought us. This is where we were, and this is how God has intervened in our lives. The whole book of Proverbs. If, if, you, if you read it, the first, uh, the first chapter in Proverbs starts out with kind of the, the thesis statement, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And right after that, it says this. This is meant to be instruction to children. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. That that the wisdom passed down by parents in the way of God to their children is something that is beautiful and is wise and is helpful for our kids. What we see throughout the storyline of the Bible is that God has entrusted parents with the discipleship of our children. That it is our role as parents to to point our kids to Jesus. We've been entrusted with them. And and if I can be kind of honest and candid for a moment, I think sometimes in like the modern ways that we do church these days, we can kind of slip into the, the trap of saying, well, as long as I drop them off at like the Cornerstone Kids program downstairs, like they're 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 good and they're going to learn everything that they need to. Or as long as I drop them off at youth group and they're you know going to stay out of trouble on a Thursday night, then then they're good. Here's here's what we need to understand. Is that those things are helpful but they're meant to be supplemental to the discipleship of our kids. That there is much more that we as parents can do to influence the lives of our kids and shaping them towards Jesus than youth group or a, a Sunday morning kids program could ever do. Let, let me share with you a quote from uh, Orange, which is the, the kids curriculum that we actually use for our kids program. They said this, that the average church only has 40 hours in a given year to influence a life. The average parent has 3,000 hours per year to influence a life. So, so when you think about that and kind of compare it, here, here's a little kind of visual of comparing like 40 hours to, to 3,000 hours. Like 
I love our, our kids program that we have and the amazing volunteers who love your kids and want to see them grow as disciples. I love our team that we get to do youth group with and are trying to, to create spaces where there can be honesty and questions asked and discovering who Jesus is together. But listen, that's only the 40 hours. As parents, we have the, the real time and space connection with our kids in a way that Sunday morning kids programs and youth groups are never going to do. Listen, it doesn't need to be some kind of like formalized curriculum. If you've been reading our Gospel Comes with a House Key book with us on our Tuesday night book study, like you don't need to have the Butterfield family devotions with singing psalms in four-part harmony from the Psalter like they have in the book. If you've been reading the book and that's overwhelming to you, it is to me too, okay? It doesn't need to be that. But man, as parents, there, there, there are small things that we can do. Right? And, and I'm saying this as like a parent of young kids who hasn't really gotten to the, the difficult years yet, okay? But we can read the Bible with our kids. We can, we can teach them stories and familiarize themselves with the story of God. We can pray with and for our kids. We can discover answers to their questions with them. Meaning we don't have to have all the answers. And when our kids ask us some deep theological question of whether, you know, the election of God is superlapsarian or infralapsarian, like we don't, we don't need to answer like right away. Like we can go discover that. None of our kids are ever going to ask that. But we can discover those answers with them. We can be on a journey of walking with them through that. Let, let, me, let me give you a... a uh, a simple, easy resource that, that um, actually is built in and goes with our, our curriculum that we have downstairs for our Cornerstone Kids program. It's called the Parenting Q app. And this, this is actually made by the same people that make our, our kids' curriculum downstairs. So that if, uh, listen, you got a kid who's, who's regularly part of our program, this app tells you like what they're probably learning on Sunday mornings in in their curriculum, and also has like, here's some great questions or conversations to kind of prompt with your kids. Like when you're driving in the car, here, here's an interesting question to ask and, and see how your kid responds or, or how you can spark into these conversations. Or here's maybe a, a Bible story that could be helpful in walking with your kids uh, through some questions that they may have. Anyway, it's a great app. It's a resource for you uh, that might be helpful. Are you feeling completely inadequate at all of this yet? Like, th th this, is, this is weighty, and it, it's a responsibility, and we're all going to fail at it. In fact, <laughs> as we set up, you know, we get, we get calls from, from companies to, like, set up RESPs for our kids. We should probably also be setting aside savings for their future therapy for how we're <laughs> raising our kids. But in the midst of, in the midst of all of this, listen, we're, we're going to fail. We're going to have moments where we're like, oh, man, like, I feel like I missed the ball here. Or feel like maybe, maybe it's too late for me. Or, or, or 
I don't even know if my kid wants to hear the, the things that I want to say when it comes to Jesus. And here's what I think is, is most important, is that the greatest thing that I think our kids ever need to hear from us isn't like, here's how you need to have a, a cookie-cutter like Bible devotion time in the morning. But what they need to see is mom and dad displaying their need for the gospel. They need to see mom and dad acknowledging that my heart's broken and I need Jesus to fix me too. That I need the grace of God day by day to help me. And I remember there's there's this one time where um, it was shortly after we got our van, and I remember kind of the the angle through the rearview mirror of seeing Judah in like the way way back seat, and there was something going on, and I don't remember what it was, but I was I was pretty angry and frustrated and young kids, right? And I got in the car, and I don't know if I like slammed the door or, or what, but Judah from the back seat was like, Daddy, may, I think you need Jesus to help your heart right now. <laughs> and for me in that moment, it could have either been, uh, oh, here's a cutesy moment. It could also be a moment where I get defensive. But it could also be a moment to acknowledge, do you know what? Yes, I do. And for my son to see that dad needs Jesus as much as I'm telling him he needs Jesus. My kids are, are far from perfect. <laughs> that is like, I've been digging for examples, right? <laughs> but we need the power of God to renew us. And our kids need to know that we need that as much as we're trying to tell them that they do. And when that begins to take root, I think it becomes an acknowledged thing. Like, like a month ago, we, we were at, I took Judah to an Islanders game, and he was engaged until the popcorn ran out. <laughs> and after, after a period and a half, he was ready to just run around the arena and do his own thing, and, and that's hard. And we went to go use the bathroom, and you know how you have to kind of like stay in the hallway until the whistle is blown before you can really kind of walk around? Well, in the middle of gameplay, he goes up and he starts like dancing out in front and, and running around. And I'm in this awkward place, and so afterwards I go and I take him and I pull him aside and we have a, a parenting conversation. And, and I told him, like, I need you to, to listen to me when I talk to you. And after, after that conversation, I grabbed him by the hand, and I wanted to get going, and he said, no, Dad, stop. I need to ask God to help me. I need to ask God to help me to listen. And for me, that's like, okay, there's something in there that's clicking, right? Because I need God to help me listen. And if I keep just telling my kid, like, you need to listen to me better. You need to listen to me better. Without acknowledging, like, there's something wrong with your heart that you need Jesus to fix in order for any listening or growing to happen. Like, he needs the gospel and not just rules in the way that I need the gospel and not just rules. 
I spent too much time talking about parenting. <laughs> For those of us who aren't parents or those of us who, who are parents, but we're in a stage of life where maybe the, the balance has shifted from we're no longer primarily parenting our kids, but we're actually in the stage where we're becoming caregivers for our parents. I've not reached that stage of life yet, but some of you are entering the stage of life where, where that shift is happening. And all of a sudden, you're entrusted not just with this raising of your kids, but also a sense of responsibility to care for mom and dad as they enter a stage of their life. God's heart for us towards our parents, as he, as he communicated through Moses to the Israelites, is to honor our father and mother, right? We read it as one of the Ten Commandments. And though we're not those who are, who are bound by the law, we see God's heart displayed in that, in how we're called to treat those who have raised us with a dignity and honor for the work that they've done to raise us, using the responsibility that many of us will come upon to care for our parents in a way that glorifies God. And you might be thinking right now, yeah, but you don't know the relationship I have with my mom. Or or you don't know how my siblings are impossible to work with in order to make decisions about dad's future. These are very real things. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but here's just what I want to say this morning is God sees and he knows your family dynamic. He knows it better than I'm ever going to try to piece together in a sermon as someone who hasn't reached that dynamic yet. God knows and he sees your family dynamic. He sees your station of life. And for you to be entrusted with the family that you have and with the parents that you're seeking to care for isn't so that you can bear all the weight and responsibility on your own shoulders. But for you as someone who has been adopted into the family of God, for you as someone who has experienced the love of being part of God's family, of being chosen and wanted and brought in, we're called to let that reality shape the way we interact with our family relationships that we have. With those responsibilities, with those difficulties, seeking reconciliation, seeking to bring the light of the gospel in how we care and interact with our family. Some of you, it's been a long, hard go in caring for family members. Some of you are tired. And you need to know that God sees you and he honors the work that you are doing and caring for them. Lastly, we're going to talk about the family of the church. And this isn't just like some kind of tag on to the end. This is, I think, a shift that we need to make in our, uh, our biblical worldview. Because in Christ, we aren't primarily defined by the family that we grew up in or the family that we have. We're defined by being Christ's. 
So whether you come from a family where you're kind of ashamed of those relationships or you kind of take too much pride in those relationships, or whether you're single or married or divorced or widowed or childless or hurt by family, primarily as a follower of Jesus, you are part of his family. And we're in a crazy kind of family. The church is made up of those who are adopted as children of God. And so we're all siblings in God's family. The people you see sitting around you as those who love Jesus, who've been welcomed into his family, are your family too. Those who are sitting in a different building this morning in a worship service, who love Jesus, are part of our family. And man, we have a crazy family. But just as parents are entrusted with the kids that we've been given to raise them in a way that glorifies God, we as the church, as this family of God, are entrusted with each other. And so we're to help spur one another on in our walk of faith to the glory of God. We're entrusted with each other. It is a family dynamic, and we see this played out in Paul's letters, especially the ones that I mentioned earlier to, to Timothy and to Titus, right? In, in the opening of 2 Timothy, right before Paul acknowledges uh, Lois and Eunice, Paul calls Timothy his son. Now, he's not biologically his son, but he sees Timothy as a part of his family as someone who he is, so to speak, raising up in the faith. And some of you, you might be in a stage of life right now where actually God is calling you to raise up some sons in faith. Where maybe you're kind of in the empty nester stage or you're further along your journey and and maybe the, the parenting part is done for you, but God is actually calling you in the context of the family of faith that you're in, that that your role actually now is to be a spiritual father to some people. To help raise them up in the faith the way Paul did to Timothy. In, In his letter to Titus, Paul writes, he says, to the older women in the church, your role is to speak and to shape the life of younger women as they grow up as disciples of Jesus. As they're seeking what it means to to raise their kids as disciples, to to become women who who love God and their families and the ministry that God has called them to, whether it's single or married or or what have you. That, That older people in the faith are called to help raise up and shape younger people in the faith. Some of us maybe who are of a younger generation. What we need to do is actually to seek out some parents in the faith, so to speak. Maybe instead of spending all of our time with fellow millennials, our role actually is to go and seek out those who are further down the road of faith with, than us and to ask them out for a coffee and to see if we can learn from their journey of faith, to invite them to speak into our life and to shape us to have this intergenerational family of the church to work together to spur one another on as disciples of Jesus. We're entrusted to one another. 
Paul also talks about caring for widows in the church or caring for those who have no family. That when there is no family around for those who are struggling or dealing with loss or grief or just the ongoing reality of life, that we're called to be that family. So we're never going to be the, the same as like the people who live in the same house as you, but we are called to be the community that supports and cares and even provides for those who are in need in our family. Lastly, I want to leave us with this. There's always going to be family drama. And if you've been part of a family for any amount of time, or part of a church for any amount of time, the sinfulness of our hearts comes out in some spectacular ways that leads to all kinds of drama and chaos, whether it's with our kids or with our parents or with our church family. The question is for us, as those who are trying to steward the family relationships we have to the glory of God, how in light of the gospel are we going to respond to that drama? Are we going to be those who who take drama and just amplify the chaos? To be those who who hold grudges? Those who, who seek to satisfy our anger and sense of revenge? Those who break off relationships? Or maybe we're going to be those who seek to maybe have a bit of the family resemblance of Christ in the way that we deal with the hiccups in our families. Jesus showed us when he came a level of humility, a level of service, and a level of of initiation of reconciliation that he took the first steps towards reconciliation. As we experience drama in our families in whatever way, my prayer is that we, by the power of Christ, would be able to be those who are humble, be those who are quick to serve, be those who take steps towards reconciliation, rather than letting drama blow up and ensue. Let me, let me leave you with these words from Philippians. I don't have them up on the screen. In your relationships with one another, Paul says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Do you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you help us as parents to to have the humility to show the gospel, our need for the gospel in our lives with our kids? As we raise them and seek to point them to you, 
Would we do it with humility and a trust that even when we fail, you are you're picking up the slack? God, in our relationships with each other, in our families, with our parents, in the different stages of life we find ourselves, would we, by your power, have the character of Christ? Seek to be humble and serving and reconciling? Jesus, in our church family, would we seek to to be stewards of the relationships that we have, to be trusted to one another, that we might maybe be able to use our experience to help raise up children in the faith, that we might seek out parents in the faith, so to speak, that we might be the community who can support and care for one another in the way that we need it as we grow in you. Jesus, would you be evident in our relationships. It's in your name we pray and for your glory.